This is Monster Manual Mash. This is the podcast where we talk about monsters in the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons Monster Manual. We're going entry by entry, except the Dracolich, because that was a mess. And (laughs) we are discussing how these monsters are presented, uh, what kind of psychological space they take up in your brain, how the book tries to get you to use them, um, where they come from in myth and legends and folklore, and maybe creative things you can do with them using the powers of our meager improvisation. Today, we are dealing with the Drider, which is half drow, half spider, cleverly named. (laughs) So, what we got here? The Drider is a drow that shows great promise, is summoned to the demon web pits for a test of faith and strength by the drow goddess Loth. If you pass, you rise higher in Loth's favor, but if you fail, you are transformed into a drider. Uh, Only drow can suffer this fate, and only Loth can dish it out. If you become a drider, you are scarred for life. You are twisted and debased when you return to the material plane. You suffer madness and despair, and you become a hermit or a hunter on the outskirts of society, uh, or even farther away into the underwilds where you live alone or you lead a pack of giant spiders. Sometimes these driders return to the outskirts and try to make inroads into the civilization that they've been cast out of to try and finish up some endeavor from their former life, uh, some vendetta or other kind of mission that they have. The drow, the dark elves, uh, shun them and consider them lower than the slaves, but they aren't wiped out and they aren't specifically targeted, even though they're so hated, because they represent Loth's power and will. So it would be wrong to destroy things that Loth has made a point of creating. And that's the extent of it. It is a kind of a a short one. Uh, Most of the entry is taken up by... There's the picture, which I won't describe too much, but I think it is bad because it is just when you think of a half, like a, a spider centaur, it's what it is. There's like an armored upper half of an otherwise good looking drow. The drow are pretty good looking in a goth um, power metal way in a, in a, oh, yeah. Yeah. In a <laughs> Scandinavian black metal uh, cover kind of thing. This one's got like, a saber with a uh, a nice hilt, which doesn't and is wearing good armor, doesn't really match the description and my impression of them as being debased and full of madness. This looks like an upstanding. This looks like like a quite a commanding and uh, put together person. The expression is very neutral, almost predatory and silent, and uh, holding himself pretty highly. Mm-hmm. The third edition. You should look up 3rd edition Drider. is way more monstrous and uh, discolored. And you can definitely sense the uh, the lack of humanity or uh, drow-ishness. The lack of uh, uh, sentience and the descent into some kind of gross madness. And that's what I like more. This is kind of rote. And then the... Yeah, well, I'm looking it up now. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone I take like a it. minute to look it up. It's worth it. <laughs> if you care enough to listen to this podcast about monsters, you care enough to look up pictures of them. So, Is it the one that's uh, wrapping a guy up? Yeah. And... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good kidding. one. I wish I knew the names of these artists. Um, I'm, maybe I could find them, but I'm not sure. I'm not going to try because I'm lazy. But then the stat block, you get a bunch of stuff um, that are typical of drow and typical of spiders. Nothing really surprising. But that's fine. What more do you want out of this yeah it's it's like it's it's exactly what it says on the tin it's a drow spider yeah <laughs> you know you, you, you stuck them together yeah another example of two great tastes um yeah the there's a couple ways i think they intend you to use these monsters um i think here they're supposed to be just like a possibly a random wilderness encounter um that before like and instead of stumbling into a full war party of drow or into a drow city you come across one of these so you kind of get to like glimpse the drow um 
see their challenge rating is six. So it's like pretty decent fight for a smaller party of lower levels. Um, if you get a bunch of drow together, they're a little more because of the knockout poison on the drow weapons. Um, might not go as well. Did we cover drow yet? We're not even there no, yet. Because drows we? Are, are yeah, that's it's it's E for elves. Oh my god! It's like it's like yeah. Okay, well, and there's a whole entry for elves, but then it's like no, just drow. And I think it it's, it stays out of there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So we haven't covered drow yet, but if you're listening to this, you probably know what they are a little bit. They're one of the more <laughs> famous. They're the goth elves. Um, they're everyone's favorite. They're supposed to be evil and monsters and not player characters, but there's traditionally been such a demand to play the one exception that yeah. uh, thousands upon thousands of one exceptions exist. Um, the most famous is, what's his name? Drizzt, the worst worst named fantasy character uh, in my opinion yeah, for sure like that's got to maximize the like ratio of like um i don't know like like to have a character that's so widespread and popular have such an unbelievably unpronounceable name <laughs> is like that's got to be like the one of the best confluences of those two things yeah yeah it is the the epitome of the like wanky fantasy made upness uh it's just like yeah. There's no vowels. There are apostrophes everywhere. It's like not everyone's trying to do a Tolkien made up language thing and like it never makes any sense and it's unpronounceable. Yeah. But yeah. wildly popular. Drzdo Durgen. Durgen. I always, I, I think I simplified it in my brain. I always said Drzdo Erden, but like okay. I don't think that's, that's that's, that seems like me like anglicizing i would take that well that's fine that's all you can do man yeah that's all you can do you're not gonna what are you gonna do study elf (laughs) i'll yeah i'll study and learn elvish but not even tolkien yeah yeah like not even the real elvish the elvish made up by several different authors at will yeah yeah um i forget why we started talking about that oh yeah Uh, was it drow right i was trying to explain what drow were um they're, yeah, everyone's favorite Mary Sue character. So they're that's why now in fifth edition they're straight up in the player's handbook as a playable race because you just can't yeah. fight the demand, can't fight the fans. Yeah. yeah, and they still have the sunlight sensitivity thing. And like one in in, in a, well in a game that I ran that you played, Chris, yeah, our, our friend played a drow. Yes, and uh, uh, but like thankfully it was it was um uh in ravenloft so there was no sunlight anyways so it was no big deal being a drow it was only a good thing yeah well plus you know i just imagine if you're playing a drow you're also heavily cloaked as part of the outfit yeah yeah so you get that sign off you um while we're on the topic of drow there's a great sequence in the main quest of baldur's gate 2 which is a Dungeons and dragons game and it's a computer game but it uses the second edition rules like to the t Mm -hmm. um in the gameplay mechanics and there's a bit where you go to the underdark and have to do some stuff and you fight some drow and they have amazing gear like they have great swords and armor and like it's light so your wizards can wear it and still cast spells and then you're decked out in all this like cool purple metallic drow armor and then you leave the underdark and nothing i don't think there's any indication telling you that all of the drow equipment dissolves in sunlight and so you <laughs> ditched all your other gear because there was no shops in the underdark and you had all this drow stuff and then you're on your way to the final thing and you get to the surface and like all your swords and armor just turn to dust and you just have a bunch of piles of dust in your inventory i like it it was good yeah it was good i like that a lot yeah. Because that also explains why Drow don't conquer the surface. Because, like, yeah, in the in all the backstories and, like, everything, the, they they theoretically have this underground empire that reaches everywhere, and they're can, they, they could get anywhere, right? Yeah. But, yeah. But they have to raid That's, the surface very carefully. Yeah, and, and like, the... Only at night, I'm guessing, yeah. Yeah, and the, the fear of the sun is, like, a powerful kind of folk tale thing especially with uh we're talking about elves and the fae yeah i like that and is yeah and elves in particular are are very the surface elves at least they're all very like uh they have a lot of celestial 
themes to them like there's moon elves and sun elves or like they talk about the moon and sun all the time and that's like a very much a part of who they are like they're the children of the stars or 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 whatever and so to have some underground that like can't deal with anything coming from the sky that's that's great you know yeah they're big into horoscopes i think um i think if you have an elf character you should base them on one horoscope in particular that can that's kind of coming out of nowhere but just thinking about the celestial thing i think uh you could really run with that and then underground they would have like a different horoscope right yeah that's like based on what would that even be based on spiders cycles happen underground uh seismic uh shifting hatches yeah bugs bugs doing bugs for sure bats um those eyeless cave geckos Mm. translucent guys yeah. I'm just trying to think of going through my Planet Earth documentary history. Mm-hmm. Cockroaches. Those, uh, weird giant crystals. Yeah, the drippy, drippy crystals. Yeah, yeah. The expensive. that one cave in Mexico with the hot crystals. Yeah. You heard about that? The hot crystals? Hot crystals. <laughs> There's this cave. It's this cool cave with giant crystals the size of houses, but like the scientists can only go down there for like... Um, like not more than uh, it's. I think it's around an hour. It's some period of time, but they have to limit the time they're down there because they're so deep underground that it's 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 super hot. But there's cool crystals down there. It's it's what do they know yeah. why it's hot? Are the crystals hot? I think um, it's either like I I would have looked this up if I thought <laughs> I was going to be reminded of cave crystals talking about spider people. Um, I don't know why I didn't connect those dots already, but uh, it's been uh, a while. Uh, I, I would imagine it's like either a geothermic thing or it's uh, just because of yeah, it would have to be something. Okay, geothermic. it's not. It's, it's hot ground, what I yeah. what I was wondering and thought maybe you were implying was that the crystals themselves are mysteriously hot. Oh, that would be really cool. No, I can see why I totally let you do that because I call them hot crystals. No, it's yeah. just it's just a place that's really hot where there are crystals. Okay, and I guess the place being hot would make the crystals hot. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. No, if there if 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 there are crystals underground that just produced heat um, out of nowhere, that would be amazing. That'd be cool. That'd be so cool. We'd have a whole podcast about that. You'd be. We'd have a whole podcast about that. I'd be down there trying to trying to turn it into a source of green energy. Get your, boil water with crystals. Get your little mitts on those hot crystals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll just keep calling them hot crystals. Hot crystals. Too. Nobody's allowed to name them anything more dramatic than that or scientific. <laughs> I want to go back to uh, the campaign you ran with, where another player played a drow um, yeah. that speaks to the ubiquitousness, u- ubiquity of drow in games when they're not necessarily supposed to be that player even made his drow albino which made it a white-skinned dark elf yeah making it which i think is drow erasure i think that makes it (laughs) too much because the whole thing about monstrous races is they're supposed to elicit uh like fear distrust yeah um you know in the npcs in the world around the players you're not just going to accept yeah. that there's this like well-known monster. Right. Yeah. Like if you're playing a tiefling or a half orc or a, um, a goblin, you know, any yeah, other it's ones, supposed like, to that be, should be a little bit different. Part of the game yeah. is trying to navigate normal life. Unless you've got one of those like kitchen sink universes, but I always like it when there's a bit of a, actually, I don't know. I've done it both ways or monsters. I had like a, I can't, I can't complain about this because I once ran a game about like a goblin uh, bakery so <laughs> monsters exist with along everyone else it's fine i don't know it's just like can't even pick a drow be a drow this is a conversation i should have with the individual and not <laughs> but my and also at the and the same thing um another thing that i i loved about that is he didn't know about drizzt either Right. That was a like and he was a ranger. And Drizzt is a is a is a drow ranger. And so I love yeah. that it was like convergent evolution almost. Yeah. It was like something elemental about that's kind of like exception to the rule ranger type it, character. Yeah, you know? totally. It's just it's ripe for it. Like you can't blame like you know, all these people can't be wrong. Yeah. There's a yeah. reason it appeals. It's just funny yeah. that it does to that extent. And if once you're aware yeah. of it, I think it's harder to enjoy uh unselfconsciously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you know what like I, I i'm happy for the people that 
haven't reached that point where they become self-conscious. Oh my God. I know. What a, what a great, yeah. Heady time it must be. So, uh, that's all drow. That's all drow. Mm -hmm. We're trying to talk about the drider who is this outcast monster babbling on the outskirts of drow society. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I was, I said that I think one of the things they're good for is a wilderness encounter where you get to experience drow without having to actually deal with the war machine of the drow, which is pretty formidable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you could also get involved in some sort of story because they might have old vendettas that they might try to convince you, the players, to finish for them somehow. If you can get inside, you can become their agent, or you could possibly be hired to kill one by existing drow who want to tie up loose ends or something. Yeah, and... Just looking at like at the at the stat block, so the language is it's it's undercommon and elvish, and so if you're in the underdark, if it's like an underdark adventure, it would be hard, I think, going by like the kinds of things you normally find there to find something that can speak a language that you that something sentient that can speak a language that your players would also speak. Like probably there's somebody in your party who can speak elvish, not necessarily, mm-hmm. but that's a pretty usually get to take languages and. If if somebody's an elf or a half elf, you just know it already, and so like if you're if you're encountering the drider like before bumping into like an actual drow patrol or like the gates of a drow city, which would be like one of the most hostile places for players to be, I think, yeah, near a drow city, you know. But um, like if you find a drider there, you might be able to talk to them and be like, hey um let's make a deal like you know your way around here you're scurrying around all kinds of things and you don't want to bump into the drow either you know because you're a weird monster to them yeah so like i don't know they could be uh you know you could have them as a guide and they could do a thing where they betray you because of course they did why did you trust the spider person yeah you know? and it could be a whole thing yeah, yeah. that sounds that sounds pretty good that kind of reminds me of the uh in 300 there's the like malformed wannabe soldier who tries oh, yeah. to join Leonidas, but Leonidas won't let him. So he uh, betrays them all and shows. Uh, I forgot all about that. Shows Xerxes the goat path to get around the 300, where it's like the Drider, uh, you know, enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's all kinds of stuff you could do with it. Oh, yeah. Or like the Drider's looked down upon by the society he's trying to get in good graces with. So maybe he'll like agree to take the players in to the uh the drow fortress through a back way but then we'll like raise the alarm as soon as they're in to try and curry favor with the the drow or maybe he won't maybe he's so full of hate for the drow that he'll actually like lay it on the line for them there's all kinds of uh character uh directions you could go with an npc drider um that all involve that so it's kind of a neat uh, when you you have to factor the drider into existing drow and how you use that angle in your game, I think. Mm-hmm. So why don't we look up? There's a lot of examples or uh, material in the real world surrounding spider people that we might be able to get something out of. Yeah, there's a whole TV tropes page. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. If you if you um, <clears throat> I uh, I googled um dra- uh, drider TV tropes, seeing like maybe there'll be something. There's, there's all kinds of these things. And then the top true entries were the first one was spider people, and the second one was dragon rider, which also you would probably call a drider if you were squishing words together. <laughs> um, so that's fun. So yeah, there's there apparently there are lots and lots and lots of adva- examples of spider people, which isn't surprising. Yeah, it's uh, uh, surprisingly, you don't see it actually, if you're just looking at the surface level of things, you don't see it terribly often, but mm-hmm. it's actually, uh, it's out there. It's out there. The only one I really knew of offhand was, I know that there's, I've never played it, but in Dark Souls, I know that there's like some spider woman who yes, fights you. And yeah. I, I looked her up, yeah. but I couldn't really, there wasn't anything really like noteworthy about her. That I could tell, other than that, she got turned into a spider person, which seems to be a fairly common trait. If I remember correctly, in the ridiculous Dark Souls lore, which you can only learn about by reading the item descriptions, <laughs> which I, which is which is great, I love that. Um, but uh, she is one of the first witches, and so that's from like back when there was no like light or fire at all; it, like everything was just dark. And then humans were like, "Let's make fire," and then so the first people to make fire 
um, like we're pulling fire out of magic, like fire was magic and it was demon stuff. And so they also kind of summoned demons at the same time. And so she got all like mutated from the demon magic, but she's the reason that there's light in the world, but she's down there underground because she's a creepy spider witch with lava magic. <laughs> there's more to it than that. It's been a while. But yeah. <laughs> That's about my impression. Yeah. That doesn't, it doesn't seem to cover dry or dryers very much, but. There's a lot of... Uh, yeah, it is a spider person curse. So yes. So there's that overlap. Yeah. But that's, a, that's about it. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about is Anansi a little bit. I'm just going to touch on him because Anansi is a, a very complex and rich uh, god slash folktale hero. Um, has a lot of, lot of attention on it uh, more recently, especially because of American Gods the character in American Gods, the book and TV show. Um, Anansi is a West African spider god or folktale hero, um, kind of like a trickster god, um, as we see in a lot of other cosmologies, but um, not always. Sometimes he is a hero. Sometimes he's a tra- he's got like a tragic flaw, and the story is more of a cautionary tale, not to be like have hubris or not to try to start shit. Other times, it's about how he wins by being a clever little spider boy. Uh, so because Anansi's all over West African cultures, he became prominent in Caribbean cultures and in the early American slave times um, as a piece of culture that was kind of shared by a lot of the people who came from different areas, but all sort of generally around West Africa. And it was something that they could kind of share. Um, and the stories that circulated encouraged craftiness and guile and resilience, um, which is captured well in uh, the American Gods series. Uh, difficult to summarize. I was reading some of the stories, and they're not really uh, helpful for a drider, as I imagine it, and also just like very, uh, they're not meant to be really, they're more of an oral tradition and not really meant to be, it's not easily interpreted to you and I, for for you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, something I kind of got out of it was, um, there's a certain quality of spiderishness that can be valued by an underclass as, uh, as is the case with, uh, American slaves of like being, having your, your true abilities be unseen and to try to get one up and try to improve yourself and, and win by being, clever and laying traps and um all the things that spiders do and it kind of made me think about um having not a nancy but having um so the the god loth who is mm-hmm. the spider god of the of the drow that lives in hell for some reason which I've, we've talked about a couple times um that's a pretty she's a pretty uh out there she's a media savvy um branded high marketing kind of entity and i thought it'd be kind of neat if there was another spider god who was so secret no one knew what their name was and that like loth maybe loth knows about it but loth never talks about it and you only hear like whispers of it and like maybe only the driders really know about it this like secret spider god who's at this like very very cold war with loth um i thought would be kind of neat yeah because if you had um like a sort of that kind of spider god because you have the idea of like a spider spinning a web to catch something yeah right but then once you're playing once you have that like at the metaphysical level of like gods doing stuff that web doesn't have to be a physical web that could be all kinds of things that could be a plot that could be like another empire that could be yeah like just a, a thing that's spreading around and like getting caught in the web that could sort of have like a sort of metaphysical sort of symbolic aspect to it too yeah something over space and time yeah and just like maybe the driders are closer to it and the drow just discount them all as like these uh this underclass that are to be this unwashed untouchable Mm -hmm. ranting lunatic failures but they're actually (laughs) and they you might like that's all you would see but like secretly they're actually like communicating and slowly working out the the plot of this like secret spider god and 
And also just thinking about, you know, like spider, spider motifs and everything like that. Like I think about like house spiders. And so there are some spiders you don't, you don't always want in your house, but like I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty fine with spiders as long as they're in a quarter doing their own thing because they're, what they're doing is they're hunting and catching other bugs that I definitely don't want in my house. Yeah. And so I, I sort of like, I see, I see like a spider in the corner. I'm like, yeah, good work. Thanks buddy. Thanks for keeping, keep keeping an eye out. Totally. Yeah, totally. And so I, I, I wonder like what, what are the driders? Um, like what, what's worse than them that like you want to have driders around to, to be able to catch that they're, they're tailor made to be able to, to deal with you know i, I don't know it's just like, that could that, that that could be all kinds of things yeah that's a neat yes. idea you could have like even um a surface just like a human kingdom or human lord has like a drider mm-hmm. he keeps in the castle that yeah. like hunts and kills goblins or whatever that try to creep up through the cellars yeah and it gets to be like treated like a normal treated better than it ever would back in the underdark like, why would it slink around down there if it knew it could get, like, a better life for itself? Even though you're on the surface, you just stick to the, the shadows of the castle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, but then that would that would, that would would draw the wrath of uh, of Loth, right? Who would be like, wait, you're, this is supposed to be a punishment. You you can't go and, like, spin this around and, yeah. and, and, and flip this to your benefit. And so there would be sort of the constant worry of, like... Um, Am I going to get find out? Yeah, like, godly retaliation. Yeah. yeah, totally. I also thought that, um, kind of like I was talking about how I wanted them to look more feral. Um, with When you find them in the wilderness, they would have these like fake dung heap fortresses and castles just like made out of like mush and slime. <laughs> or they try to recreate like their old manners from when they were real drow. But like everything, <laughs> it's all wrong. It all smells bad. And like they have these little like dining rooms where they have the husks of their victims but they're propped up and like dressed up and positioned like guests like they're like dolls having their for tea like oh mrs brisby you haven't finished your tea and like are pouring the tea on top of like this husk of a corpse and just going everywhere (laughs) when you talk to them you have to pretend like they are who they used to be the baron of under barrow or whatever the hell yeah yeah that's great yeah there are a couple of uh there are two in particular um japanese demon things that have to do with dry or driders and the one is called a jorogumo uh there's a story that translates the title translates to things that ought to be pondered even in urgent times which i love that title it is a story of a young woman appearing to be about 19 or 20 years old who appears to a youthful warrior. She tells the warrior, um, no, there's a, there's a child. She tells the child she carries that him there surely is your father. Go forth and be embraced. The warrior sees through her ploy and realizes she is a demon, strikes her with his sword, making her flee to the attic. The next day they find the dead Jorogumo in the attic, along with numerous bodies of people that she had devoured. There's another story called How Magoruko Was Deceived by a Jorogumo. It is a person named Magoruko dozing in his veranda. As he's about to doze off, a woman in her 50s appears. She says that her daughter had taken a fancy to him and invited him to her estate. There, a 16 or 17-year-old girl asked him to marry her. He was already married, so he declined, but the girl persisted. She claimed that he had almost killed her mother two days before, and yet she still visited him, and surely he could not let her feelings come to nothing. Bewildered, Magoruko fled. The house disappeared as he ran, and he found himself back on his own porch. Megaruko's wife then assured him that he had been sleeping on the veranda the whole time. Concluding it was only a dream, he looks around and notices a small Joro spider that had been making a tight web around the eaves. So it's kind of a weird ghost spider story. And then, um, I think this is my... F- my favorite uh at the joran falls of izu allegedly lives the jurogumo mistress of the waterfall a local legend tells of a man who rested beside the waterfall basin when the jurogumo tried to drag him into the waterfall by throwing webs around his leg the man transferred the webbing around a tree stump instead which was dragged into the falls instead of him 
After that, people of the village dared not venture close to the falls anymore. Then one day, a visiting woodcutter who was a stranger to this tried to cut a tree and mistakenly dropped his favorite axe into the basin. As he tried to go down to fetch his axe back, a beautiful woman appeared and returned it to him. You must never tell anyone what you saw here, she said. Initially, he kept the secret, but as days went by, the need to spill the story burdened him. And finally, at a banquet, while drunk, he told the whole story. Feeling unburdened and at peace, he went to sleep, but never woke up again. Whoa. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good curse. Like I like having, um, you could have the driders be a bit more, instead of like feral predators, they could be kind of ghostly haunting figures that maybe mm. curse you somehow still. I love, I love the idea of telling a player not to do something. <laughs> and just watching them sweat as they want to do that thing just to see what happens it's so hard not to mm-hmm. it's, it's like having i've been on both ends of that it's, <laughs> it's it's so hard not to do that um i'm just kind of reading ahead to make sure i'm not missing one there are a bunch more but not all of them are immediately striking no this is good um various areas have a legend about people being dragged into a waterfall by a Jorogumo, as well as the use of a tree stump as a decoy. Uh, in one, a voice was heard saying, clever, clever, after the tree stump was pulled into the water. A legend is thought to be the origin of the name of a particular um, basin called Kobuchi or Clever Abyss. The Jorogumo was worshipped for warding off water disasters, and even now there are monuments that are engraved um, to that effect. It's funny, there's a lot of, um, in East Asian cultures, a lot of the monsters just have to do with water. Mm-hmm. And then uh, an eel that lived in that abyss visited the man Genbei and shapeshifted into a beautiful woman. She warned him that the Jorogumo of the abyss was going to attack her the next day. The woman claimed she could never match the Jorogumo in power and she desired help from Genbei. Genbei promised to help her, but the next day he got scared and shut himself in his house. The eel lost her fight, and Genbei died of insanity. <laughs> <laughs> so that could be something. If you break a promise to a... I know the the eel isn't the spider monster in this case, but having someone back down on a promise involving a spider monster makes you go insane. And then there's a... There's in fiction, there's a story called Darkness Unmasked, that has to do with a Jorogumo living in Melbourne, mm-hmm. or Melbourne, pardon me. She kills female musicians, takes on their likeness, and performs in clubs to feast and mate with unsuspecting males. The dead musicians act as food for her children. Um, in the There was an anime made out of it. In it, many years ago, she was sealed away in the book by her own caretaker, the priest who defeated her monstrous mother but had no heart to kill the demon child. In modern day, Little Spider Girl is accidentally released from the book by a young girl named Mizuki, and then is taken to the current owner of the book. Mizuki and Suzuri embark on a short adventure to help their new demon girl charge in finding her mom. <laughs> That's a nice little anime uh, adventure. Um, there's another Japanese creature called the Ushi Oni, which definitely covers the more kind of monstrous, feral demonish monster living outside of civilization mm-hmm. so they have these are ox-headed monsters with spider or crab bodies who spit poison and enjoy killing and eating humans not bad yeah it's a good monster that's just a good chimeric monster mm-hmm. right there yeah there are a few stories i'm going to just kind of pick maybe try to get my favorite here uh there's a theory that the Ushi Oni is actually an aged Tsubaki root because divine spirits live in Tsubaki and there is interpretation that the Ushi Oni is an incarnation of this spirit. So it might also be a holy flower and root. Um, I don't know what you could do with that with a drider, but I do like the idea of a demonic root. Yeah. Which seems like something that would be in the Underdark. Yeah, it does. Well, you could sort of, um, I guess that's not demonic, but there's the whole thing with the, the, the Galthius tree and the uh the the blights mm-hmm. in the monster manual yeah that uh so there was the we did a whole episode on that actually i think sure um, did 
it was a while ago. Um, it was the vampire blood, and a tree grew, and then the there was tree monsters because of vampire blood in there. Yeah. So you could you could you could just make it roots instead. I don't know. There's 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 this let me could go on there, but you could just make your own thing. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, there's a there's a monster way down in the in the wise, the Yokoloth or something. Oh yeah. Which is like this weird gooey. I don't know. I don't think it's a plant, but it look kind of the picture looks like a weird tree, like a oozing tree or something. And so I think that's an oozing tree, and I think that's the true form of it, and that's what they drew. You know what? Let's find out. <laughs> Let's see here. We'll cut out the silence later. We'll cut out. Let's find this here. Scroll down to the letter Y. Yakaloth. Yeah, Yugaloths. Okay, right. So they're like the neutral evil fiends. Oh, so they're, they're not they're not related to this at all. No, yeah, there's there's a whole oh that's that's a whole family of, that's like demons and devils. That's like a whole family of things. Which ones are the goopy ones? Yeti. Maybe they're not in this edition. You go last. There's some yellow. It's like a yellow tree looking thing that had to do with Loth that was like some weird like true form or is it a demon in this I'm all my monsters are getting mixed up man is it a demon it's probably a demon yeah here we go yok lol oh yeah it's a demon <laughs> Yaklal are the handmaidens of Loth. That's where the connection right, is. Right, okay, yeah. So it is well and Loth is also a demon and also a god. Yeah. Somehow. But Right. So the, the Yaklof is a demon that looks like a putrid tree. Yeah, it's like a putrid tree that, that can is... shape chains into a female drow or a giant spider, as yeah. it says here. Which acts as the spider queen's agent of villainy. So yeah, there's a connection. You could still you could have a a gross t- uh, sweet potato. <laughs> Anyways, back to the uh, the Ushioni. Um, this because this I love this one. Um, there is a theory that the Ushioni is actually an uh, no sorry wrong. The Ushioni is a massive, brutal sea monster which lives off the coast of the Shimane Prefecture and other places in Western Japan and attacks fishermen. It is depicted with a spider or crab-like body. It is only connected to another monster called the Nure Ona, who sometimes appears before an Ushi-Oni attack and tricks the victim into holding her child, which then becomes stuck to the person's hands and grows heavier in order to hinder escape. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this baby's getting pretty heavy. (laughs) (laughs) We gotta get out of here. This baby's getting real heavy. (laughs) Which is uh that's a it's a classic um uh Briar Briar Fox. You know Briar Fox? Uh no. It's uh there's a collection of um uh black American folktales. Okay. And I think it comes from this. There's it's a bunch of like folktales, um and like American folktales. Mm-hmm. And the Briar Rabbit is kind of a trickster figure and there's a story involving the tar baby, which is a a doll made out of like tar and turpentine and he tricks someone into holding it and it sticks to them what is it brer 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 rabbit brer fox brer fox constructs a doll out of a lump of tar and then when brer rabbit comes along he addresses the tar baby amiably but receives no response brer rabbit becomes offended by the tar baby's apparent lack of manners and punches it and in doing so becomes stuck and then the more he punches and kicks, the more he gets stuck. And then the Br'er Rabbit comes to dispose him. And I think there's more to that story, but that's the idea. Yeah. Um, oh, the Br'er Rabbit says, Do anything you want with me. Roast me, hang me, skin me, drown me. But please, Br'er Fox, don't fling me in the Briar Patch. Prompting the sadistic Briar Fox to do exactly that, because he gullibly believes it will inflict the maximum pain on Br'er Rabbit. As the rabbits are at home in thickets, the resourceful Br'er Rabbit escapes. So even though the fox tried to trick him with the tar baby, um, rabbit gets away in the end. But there are a ton, like the tar baby goes apparently very deep into uh, West African 
um, myths and folklore involving a Nancy. That's funny. So the yeah, so I guess there's maybe even, um, you know, I'm no scholar, and I've literally just using Wikipedia for the most part. But it sounds like there's a connection between this tar baby idea and the uh, um, Ushioni monster attack involving holding a baby that gets heavier and won't let go. Well, and the, the, like, don't, don't do anything you want. Just don't throw me into that thicket. That is also a ploy that I think a lot of, like, players would probably fall for, too. Like, in, oh, yeah. in, like we were just talking, like, if you tell people not to do something, they're going to do it. So Absolutely. if you just have a little creature, be like, oh, okay, you got me. Whatever you do, just don't do the thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pro- people are probably going to do the thing. Player characters are often malicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, malicious and like willfully. What's the word I'm looking for? Like dest- destructively ignorant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, they uh, hate being told what yeah. to do. Even mm-hmm. if if they thought about it for one second, they realize they're yeah. being played. Yeah, yeah, um, and like I'm, I like, and it makes sense for certain characters. Like there are a lot of characters that would make sense for you to just like rush headlong into whatever just is, is without without thinking about it. Like that's a classic sort of paladin barbarian type of move. Is yeah. like to do to knowingly as a player do the stupid thing because that's what your character would do and that's, you know. Um but also like it's funny when that happens with, you know, like wizards and rogues and people that like realistically to get to sort of like the level that they are as adventurers would probably know better, but like get into all kinds of ridiculous, completely avoidable trouble. Like that is just, that's just a part of the game really. Yeah. Yeah. You really can rely on these like childhood, these children's stories and the tricksters methods of getting around things. Uh, You can really rely on your human friends to commit the same errors (laughs) <laughs> yeah well if there if there are if there are like truly elemental things about these stories and that's the reason why they've like they've existed for so long then probably those same sort of like movements and interactions and dynamics that the stories depict you can totally you can you can just you can set those into motion yeah in role playing pretty easily maybe not easily but you know if you do with, it artfully. yeah with a little yeah. bit of thought if you just uh yeah. with a little bit of thought i think it, you can really make fools of your friends which is half the reason to play <laughs> yeah especially if you uh throw something in there that can grant wishes and then you just put a time delay on it so you can really work out all of the uh all of the uh, the ironic twists <laughs> you know that's always fun oh yeah having i remember um granting one wish to my players one time and they took like out of game they took like a, a week or two to like draft their wish yeah. to be as ironclad as possible <laughs> There's, I think there's an X-Files episode where that happens and Mulder, there's a genie and then Mulder has to wish, but knows there's going to be a, like an ironic twist. <laughs> so like writes up this gigantic, like legalese tome yeah. <laughs> of, of like an, yeah, like an ironclad wish. So like there's no, there's no loopholes in it. It's a thing. Yeah. There's another good story of the Ushioni. It's considered to be the curse of the Mie prefecture. It is said that there once was an Ushioni in the caves. And when the lord of the castle shot it with a bow, the lord's wife fell incurable due to an unknown illness, a related curse. Because of this, the lord distanced himself from his wife while she was ill, and in the meantime developed an infatuation for a dancer who would come to the capital. Because of this, the lord's wife's parents came to have bad relations with the lord and ended up ruining uh, his his rule all because he shot the wrong spider monster so you can have an adventure having to do with like a curse about a shot an arrow shot drider who then in order to undo the curse maybe you're sent to go pluck an arrow out of him and it's kind of like a lion's paw situation mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you could have a really interesting fight too where like you'd have to like perform a skill check to like get the arrow out of this drider who's actively fighting you and like will Who probably stop it. like if you if you if you if you pull the pull the arrow out but like you've got to <clears throat> you know if you like while you're fighting something you've got to get into melee range but then not attack you've got to try to get the arrow yeah out. not kill like it maybe yeah not kill it 
Um, you gotta, you gotta fight it, but like also save it. Yeah. That's a good, interesting tactical encounter that you don't see too often. There's another one. I'm just trying to get the, a lot of this is confusing. There's a tale of one of these things in a river pool, uh, an Ushi Oni who could also shapeshift into a human. A young lad was sharing his bento with a woman who was the shapeshift master of the steam pool, the Ushioni. And when this young lad was washed away by a flood two months later, he was saved by the woman who he shared food with, the shapeshifted Ushioni. However, it is said that there is a rule that says that an Ushioni who saves a human must leave this world in exchange. So the Ushioni that saved the young lad, um, out of her body sprang a deep geyser of red blood as the Ushioni's body melted and disappeared. So that's why driders don't help anyone. Maybe driders are just incapable of helping, or they'll die. They can no longer cooperate. If they cooperate with anyone, they'll die. I mean that that like that's that what sort of makes it because the whole thing is a curse, right? So it's it's yeah. it's operating on like weird magic logic, right? So like that 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 that'd be totally consistent with everything else. Yeah, I think if yeah, that's a good point because it's a curse. You don't have to make things make sense biologically. Yeah. Or ecologically. It can all be it can all be curse logic, so you can really do whatever you want and make strange situations. Yeah. I had a I had a character one time, uh he was a barbarian when I when I was a player in um Curse of Strahd instead of running it. And then um he was very quick to just if anything confusing or mysterious happened, he was like, Oh, it's just magic bullshit. Magic's always making things weird and not make sense and so he was just like very comfortable just defaulting to like, oh, it's weird. Oh, it's just magic. It's just like magic nonsense. Like I, I, I it's no problem that I don't understand because the universe is strange. I know that it's full of monsters and things that don't make sense. Mm-hmm. And so it was hard to phase him because he uh, just accepted the absurdity, I think, of like a world where you can just cast spells and bend reality all the time, you know? Yeah. It is weird. Yeah. You do need to embrace the weird when you're running these things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one more origin story, and I believe this is more of the true source material for the Drider. Um, it is a Greek myth concerning Arachne. Arachne was a weaver, a woman, who challenged... There are, different, uh, there are three different versions. Um, in one... Arachne was a shepherd's daughter that was particularly skilled at weaving. She boasted about her skill, which infuriated Athena, who appeared and contested her. Athena weaved four scenes in which the gods punished humans that considered themselves equal to gods and had committed hubris. Arachne weaved scenes in which gods abused humans. Arachne's work was clearly better than Athena's, and the goddess was even more enraged due to the weaving that was depicted not only due to its quality and uh, threw Hectate's potion onto Arachne, which transformed her into a spider and condemned her to weave for eternity. There's another one where Athena weaved the contest between herself. Athena weaved a scene depicting the contest between herself and Poseidon over who the patron saint of Athens would be, while Arachne did a depiction of Zeus's advances to various mortal women. Athena realized how skilled Arachne was, but wanted to teach her to be more humble and respectful to the gods, and touched her forehead, and Arachne was filled with shame and hung herself. Athena brought her back to life and turned her into a spider in order to let her weave for all time. And then the third version, Zeus was the judge in a contest between Arachne and Athena, and whoever lost would not be allowed to touch a spindle or, the, or loom ever again. Athena won, and Arachne was devastated that she could no longer weave, but out of pity, Athena transformed her into a spider so she could continue weaving without having to break her oath. So three very different uh, moods happening, but in each of them there is a disgraced person being turned into a spider. Yeah. So that's another... A lot of getting shape-changed and forced to do something forever in Greco-Roman <laughs> mythology. Well, how else do you explain all the weird shit you... Like, how else do you explain big spiders? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it had to be a person that got cursed. <laughs> yeah. Somebody did it. I like the idea also of uh, the the story you hear about Driders failing some test of Loth maybe not being true, but how maybe 
the people that are turned into driders were actually too powerful and too worthy and were going to like upset some power balance that Loth wanted to maintain. Yeah. And which like, you know, sucks for the drider. It doesn't really affect the players, but that's good. That could be a story told by a drider mm-hmm. for reasons. <clears throat> and then that's, that's the motivation behind whatever action they want to press. Yeah, you could, you could, if you had one of your players do the thing where they're playing a drow, um, and you could have a sort of scenario happen where like maybe it's it's maybe they it's unbeknownst to them maybe they know it maybe they didn't have a choice in the matter but like somehow they wind up in a situation where they're being tested by walls and they fail and so the transformation but it's not instant it's not like bam you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a spider person now they're like slowly getting more spider like and like it's a it's a it's it's like a a curse that's like starting to bubble up. And so like the immediate sort of quest is like, well, hang on, put everything on hold. Our friend is turning into a spider. How do we stop them turning into a spider? <laughs> we have to deal with and this. Just use the, yeah. And just use the whole existence of driders within, you know, drow uh, society and myth and mythology as like uh, the impetus for like a, a player centered quest. It was like, no, no, now you're turning into the spider person. Yeah. How do we undo this? Yeah, like when Spider-Man turns into Man-Spider. Oh, Lord. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, that's actually a barrier to my research was looking up Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a, that's yeah, he's, he's got a full, like, aware, he's a were-spider in those yeah. stories. Yeah. Different configuration of spider to human body parts mm-hmm. with Man-Spider, though. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. There's some crossover, for sure. Yeah. You don't get to turn out of being a drider usually, but it, you're kind of like stuck in the werewolf position. Yeah. But you still kind of remember your former life. I kind of like the idea also um if you can uh, if you kind of run with uh the secret spider god idea or I'm always a fan of just kind of like reversing the trajectory of these concepts. Mm-hmm. So like having a spider who is turned into more of a human for like upsetting the like animal spider god oh yeah and so it's <laughs> it's like when there's a uh, wolf wares that are like that are that are wolves that <laughs> yeah. can turn into wolf human hybrids yeah um but it, yeah a spider that's been cursed to turn into a human spider hybrid because it failed some test at being a spider yeah so you have and then you you also reverse engineer the classic like weird physiology of it so like you have a full-on human body up to the neck, and then on the neck is, like, the upper half of a spider. Right. And so it's, like, really unbalanced and, like, super goofy-looking. Oh, yeah. So, like, the, 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 the legs and the head of a spider coming up from the... Or what would it be? I guess there's a lot of things that could There's be. a lot of things, yeah. Yeah. Just being, like, really unpractical. And then they just hang out outside, like... They're kind of like in the, the the farm fields, hanging out outside. Like they're not in a human city, but they're kind of hanging around outside because they don't have anywhere else to go. <laughs> Living in your barn and stuff. And they're not like necessarily dangerous, but they're like a nuisance. Yeah, would they be full human size? I don't know. I mean, that's it almost, it's good either way. I think it would be really unsettling to have them be spider like size, little. Yeah. yeah, like these tiny little like like very human but human spider hybrids running around yeah they're having their own drama but they're at such a scale that they don't even really concern you normally but they still live in your barns there's like a whole uh like dynasty and there's a whole like war (laughs) happening multi-generational but but they're horrifying spider people (laughs) yeah and they're just in your barn and you're just like oh god these things yeah I always loved that. Uh, I, I I can't think of any examples of this, but like with, with like you know fairies or sprites or something. You know, you look at them and they're like, oh, this 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 light floating around, whatever. And you get a closer look at them, and sometimes they're like, oh, they're just like tiny people with butterfly wings. But I lo- I love it when you finally get a close look at a fairy and something, and they're they're terrifying. They're very insectoid. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's I I like that when that happens. They're little having, xenomorphs. Yeah, yeah, and so. <laughs> 
spiders that got cursed by the god of animal spiders to look more like humans and having a bunch of those in your house that you have to deal with and that being a normal thing that people in whatever you know gothic horror town it is everybody (laughs) has to deal with gross (laughs) it's worth you'll you'll get a giggle out of your friends out of your table yeah it's worth it it would make a fun familiar oh yeah (laughs) yes Little spider buddy. Yes, it would. I like the idea. Ultimately, I think driders have a lot to do about like the fear of being homeless. They're cast yeah. out of this like really rigid society, and they're worth less than slaves, and it's they're deemed unfit for whatever reason. Yeah. So they're cast out. So, um, and their drow are pretty sadistic, and I think they're their fear of like not fitting into this hierarchy drives them just as much as uh, legitimate sadism. They're always, cause they're always watching their backs and like looking out to be betrayed all the time. And it must be very stressful. And then you get like ejected from it and you just want back in, even though it's not a healthy net of relationships. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, that's, that's the, that's, that's the, you know, like, having something like Dryder is, is sort of shows what happens when you have um, this Machiavellian hierarchy based society. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually you're going to get the chaff that like can't hack it or get like ritualistically expelled as examples. Then you, you still have to deal with these things that are still alive and still thinking and still acting out in the world. But, uh, and then some of them go crazy and some of them live off on their own, but some of them still hang out and try to like poke their way back in. So I think it, like when you kind of look at it a bit deeper, it's, it's kind of interesting, but it's also just a good, I think they're a really solid monster. I like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like them too. Well, with that, with our dual, uh, seals of approval, I don't have much more else to say about them. Yeah, I don't either, except the I, I have the image in my head of like a drider trying to uh hide under the radar, like like in disguise as a human, but it's got the whole spider torso. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just behind it's behind the shop and just like, no, don't look behind the shop, it's fine, or like they're in a they're riding a cart of some kind. I yeah, just, I was <laughs> yeah. I was picturing the cart as like the upper torso is pretending to be the driver and then the cart just has all these blankets and shit all over it. Yeah. I was also thinking if you wanted to go through the standard, uh, like three kids stacked on top of each other to pretend to be a normal person or an adult person, um, you'd have a drider who's like wearing a big cloak and then has his, uh, like you're my eight children who stand very close to me where he contains (laughs) each of his legs or something. Just me and my eight children going about town. No, they they don't talk. They were raised much more respectful and only speak when I allow them, which I will not do. That's goofy enough just to work. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? That would probably, that wouldn't turn anybody's heads in drow society. It would be like, <laughs> good, you're, you're disciplining your kids. Ah, eight children. Yes. The best number. That's the best number. All right. Well, let that be that. Um, next time, we're going to talk about the dryad. Oh, yeah. Sexy tree ladies. Yeah, we're going from spider people to tree people. Yeah. One day we'll do all the people, but for now, that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you have anything to plug, Wes? Uh, well, uh, yeah. If you, if you, well, if the, the, the intro uh, and the outro and uh the the music is is music i make because uh, i make music you can find that online bandcamp olias.bandcamp.com the o is a zero i'm not using leet speak on purpose in 2020 just the o one was taken i always feel the need to qualify that um yeah that's all i got to plug what about you chris um i am doing i have an, another podcast where i'm writing audio dramas where you choose your own adventure and they are uh, weird, and um, I'm doing a Halloween series of, uh, it's called Please Tell Me What to Do. That's the podcast, and then the series is on a haunted walking tour of Peterborough. So you listen to it, and then you vote on what you want to do on a Twitter account. It sounds more convoluted than it is. Um, They're about 15 minutes long, and they're fun to make. So look 
look on your little podcast finder for please tell me what to do if you want to tell me what to do. It's good. You should all tell Chris what to do. It's very good. (laughs) It's very rewarding. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Cool. Thank you. That's uh, Mash Mashers out. Monsters mashed. (laughs) Manually. (laughs) That's the winner. 